0: and welcome back to the Scaling Impact podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my guest back to the show today, Amber Caney, who is the head of stakeholder engagement at DreamSpring. Hello, Amber, how are you? And thanks for being back on the show.
1: Good, thanks for having me. It's great to be back.
0: Yeah, very excited to talk more about updates, DreamSpring, tech, donor impact, all kinds of stuff we're excited to kind of get into. But before we do that, for any of our listeners who don't know as much about you or haven't heard that previous episode yet, If you could, describe for us a little bit more about your background and how you got to where you are today. I think that would be a great start.
1: Sure. And it's hard not to do it without a little bit of alphabet soup, but bear with me. So I'm the head of stakeholder engagement for DreamSpring, which is a CDFI, a community development financial institution. And basically, that's a special designation that we have. Um, We're a nonprofit, and it means that we're committed to serving underrepresented clients. In our case, small business owners and entrepreneurs, and our goal is to provide them with capital, education, and resources to succeed. I came from a very um, traditional nonprofit background. I spent time at foundations, at the American Red Cross, and then I stumbled my way into CDFIs and the economic opportunity space, and it's like none other. My parents and grandparents were entrepreneurs, and they had a lot of challenges. And I saw, you know, what the world was like without CDFI support. And now every day I get to work with clients who are, doing amazing things they're fulfilling a childhood dream they're building a legacy for their families and their children or you know they're they're taking the time to do what they've always wanted to do whether that's have flexibility in their schedule and be their own boss or really turn a pain point or something they've thought about into a business that can provide an income for themselves and so um it's a really fun uh way to explore philanthropy and partnerships because Um, No two days are the same. No two stories are the same. And, you know, a lot of nonprofits are helping people at, you know, one of the worst moments in their lives, Um, a disaster, uh, financial challenges. DreamSpring gets to come in at a moment where they're having potentially a really seismic shift in their life for the better. And so um, it's it's really exciting. And the work we do is really impactful. I mean, I think the pandemic showed us just how important
0: small businesses are. Super well said. And I love the model as focused, obviously, you know, near and dear to my heart, entrepreneurship, obviously, because that's what I do pretty much all day, every day. But it is so exciting and encouraging to see the same being extended to those who typically have not had that as an opportunity because that can produce some pretty significant results, as you had mentioned, very importantly so at a point in their lives or time when they could use it the most. So we've talked a lot about the exciting things that DreamSpring has done, super impressive accomplishments, including technology and software to drive and deliver impact. And I wanna kind of get into that because I know there's been activity there, especially on the donor side, that's kind of where we potentially start. Before we do that, is there any other context you want to give for folks to learn a little bit more about DreamSpring and these topics that we kind of want to get into?
1: Sure. I think that one of the the biggest things I would call out is just that small business owners, have a really hard time accessing capital, you know. When we need a mortgage or we need a personal loan, we go to the bank, and for most of us that happens. But for a lot of traditionally underrepresented communities, minority-owned businesses, women, veteran-owned businesses, um, businesses where the owners in a low-income neighborhood or they're a low-to-moderate income household themselves, it can be really hard to find the funding you need to start to grow a business and. Small businesses pay living wage jobs and they're sustaining families. And so DreamSpring's mission is to bridge that capital gap and create access and entry points. And so we work with small business owners. A lot of them are startups. And we our average loan size is around $17,000. We provide a lot of education and guidance and resources to help them connect the dots along the way so that they can grow their business, purchase that piece of equipment and ultimately enter the financial mainstream. And so, you know, there's a job creation and uh, maintenance component to what we do. There's an education component, but the biggest thing is that, that access to capital and hearing yes. And, you know, for anyone who's thinking, well, that doesn't sound very philanthropic, think about the daycare center where you take your kids? What would happen if they didn't have the money to purchase cribs or play pens or bulk formula? Think about the veterinarian's office where you take your dog. What happens if they don't have an ultrasound machine? What happens if they don't have the equipment they need? And so these are the kinds of businesses we interact with in our daily. I think the coffee shop, what happens when the espresso machine breaks? And so it's about making sure that those businesses that we interact with on a day-to-day basis have everything they need to thrive. And then at DreamSpring, we're trying to figure out how to do that to scale. Um, DreamSpring started in 1994 in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and grew to serve the Southwest. And... Over time, we've expanded. We're trying um, to have a full national service area. And right now we're in 27 states. And that presents a lot of new challenges and You know, helping a rural small business owner in New Mexico is very different than helping someone in downtown Houston, which is very different than Michigan, Ohio. And so figuring out the unique geographies and how to build the kind of resources and programs that support those clients. And then on my side, it's about also making sure that we're connecting to the donors and partners and stakeholders that can help us bring that mission to life because we can't do it alone. It takes a whole ecosystem system of institutions and, you know, government agencies and peer nonprofits and individuals who are all passionate and who recognize that this gap is pervasive and and holds folks back for generations. And together, if we all roll up our sleeves, it can be a really transformative difference.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And I want to talk more about something you mentioned, which is really important here. And I know this is an area where DreamSpring has a lot of expertise and has had a lot of success as well, too, in terms of overcoming these challenges when attempting to scale. Right? The impact that you deliver has been well articulated, and definitely want to get behind that mission as much as we can. You had mentioned or alluded to the fact that as you're growing and scaling, which is a lot of what we talk about on this show, like how do we how do we scale impact what are the challenges that we might experience and how do we overcome them in particular i know dreamspring has leveraged to quite an extent technology and software so i'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about those use cases and as i understand it as well too there's been some activity also on the donor side which you mentioned towards the tail end of your previous response
1: yeah and the first thing i would say is when you're thinking about how to bring an organization and a mission to scale you have to think about how to do it across your organization otherwise You're going to have, you know, the the car factory analogy, you're going to have 200 doors, but no bodies of cars to attach them to. And so um, we started with the client facing pieces and we really embraced Technology that reduced friction points for our clients, figuring out how to make applying for a loan and talking about your financials and uploading documentation as minimally overwhelming and scary. And we wanted to make it as easy as possible. And that has helped us open new doors to new partnerships, reach clients that otherwise would be daunted by the process. It's helped us understand. How we can iterate and be better, um, where are our clients still getting stuck, um, and really leveraging data to understand who we're serving and how we can do that better. And now we're being really intentional about taking that to the other pieces of the organization because um, as we scale our services, we need to scale the support that makes that happen. And, you know, once upon a time in nonprofit land, the way you made a donation is. You received a letter or someone called you, and then you had to find a stamp and find an envelope and mail a check and then hope that it gets there and then hope that it gets cashed and then maybe receive a tax letter back that acknowledges your donation. And that process could take a really long time. And that's not a great journey to go on. And it's also not personal and it's not how we live now. I don't even know that I could find a stamp in my house right now. And, you know, thinking about, all of the impact and all the data we were capturing. That's how we tell powerful stories. And by leveraging technology, we're able to take our digital assets, client features, videos. Um, things that tell our story better than I ever could face to face or in a letter and get them in front of people that go beyond the networks of anyone on your fundraising staff. You know, capacity is always a challenge for nonprofits and leveraging technology can let your fundraisers and your partnership builders and your executive teams do what they do best. And it also enables your clients to have a voice in the process. Would a DreamSpring client get on the phone with me and talk to someone five states away about their experience? Maybe, but we certainly couldn't do that to scale. Um, but a video can be emailed, it can be clicked. We can you know, get it in front of people that care about that service that that business provides. And it enables us to take the data-driven approach on the client side and apply it to our donors. And the other piece of this is, We all have to recognize that the pandemic changed a lot. And I haven't been to a grocery store since the pandemic. I do not miss it. I love doing that online. And there are so many things that I think we don't think about that, you know, happen online now because it's easy and there's less friction and our phone is in our pocket. And sometimes when you've got your kid in one hand and your laptop in the other and you're trying to cook dinner and you're stirring the spaghetti pot with your foot, you don't have time to have a phone conversation with a fundraiser. And so being able to give a self-paced approach, be able to give donors an option for how they want to connect with you, how the timing, the, the pace of it, the format, you're really putting the donors in the driver's seat, but also keeping it client focused at the same time. And that that's a, a long answer. But it's a long answer because technology enables you to just go in so many different directions. You can accomplish so many things at once. And so that's what we're trying to do. It's not a perfect system, but um, you can continue to learn and grow with it. I mean, the great thing about technology is you're constantly getting data on what is working and what isn't. And it enables you to pivot and change as you need. And it would take a long time to figure that out with face-to-face and meetings and um, certainly at the scale that we're trying to do it.
0: That's the great point there as well, too, right? Because in terms of cost effectiveness, I've seen a lot, unfortunately, of nonprofit organizations that have developed amazing local programs, but then they kind of collapse or they stall under the weight of the growth that they want to try to achieve as they're trying to scale because they haven't taken into account just how expensive, time-consuming, how much effort is going to be involved. And what it's going to be like trying to manage that at scale. So it's really encouraging to hear you talk about all of these other strategies, which can help you do so much more efficiently, which keeps the effectiveness, right? Because it's always heartbreaking when you see nonprofits try to, when they struggle to try to grow and scale their impact because that, and that's the whole purpose of this show, the work that I do, et cetera, is to try to figure out how to come up with more cost-effective ways to do that because we want to keep those programs, right? We want to spread that impact as far and wide as possible. And you're articulating a ton of great examples in terms of how to do that. I like the philosophy that you mentioned. I definitely want to reinforce the fact that there was a process to it, right? You didn't just like shotgun blast approach these tools in terms of how to figure that out, right? And you started with, I I like to refer to it as the bottleneck because I'm an operations management geek, but it's like, you you described it great with an analogy as like a car factory, right? It's like, you're going to wind up with a pile of doors and no other parts to assemble the you know, the output that ultimately drives the outcome that you're looking for. And that was starting with the clients first, which we've talked about. And we talked about that also in the previous episode that we recorded. But first and foremost, right, let's get prioritized. Clients first, clients access to capital second, and then continue to figure out what the latest bottleneck is and then address that, which now sounds like you're making great headway as it pertains to donors, which is super encouraging. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about what that looks like. You'd alluded to as well, too the data that you've used to kind of better understand where to apply technology, software, any of these other tools that can help you with scaling more efficiently? What does that look like? What is DreamSpring's process for that? Like, how do you know where to apply it next? That would also be good for, you know, other nonprofit leaders to learn from in terms of what you've done successfully.
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is you need to put your head down before you can put your head out. And, you know, we really looked internally at, Who are our donors and partners and aspirationally, who are we trying to attract? Um, Because like you said, the folks who are supporting you in your backyard and your community are absolutely essential. But to ramp something up to scale, you need to there needs to be more and and figuring out who you have. And who you want to have is the first thing. And the second is you have to understand the process that they're going through right now. You know, we talked about, you know, receive the receive the, the letter, find a stamp, find an envelope. You need to understand your donor journeys. And for Dream Spring, we really identified that there are two paths. One is the one that institutional partners... Um, go through and you know that's a much more proposal process. you know there are multiple stakeholders in each institution that you're talking to um, it's more cyclical and then there's the individual donor journey and we really mapped those out and we said, okay, where are we losing people in our funnel? where are the friction points? who's using technology? who's not and I'll I'll give a great example um, with our institutional partners a lot of them during the pandemic transitioned to a work from home or a hybrid work environment, which means that direct mail doesn't work for them the same way it used to, because number one, they may not have a physical office anymore. And number two, are they really going to the office and checking their mail and, you know, being thoughtful and going through it? Or are they just, you know, is someone going through that for them and pulling out the important pieces and direct mail can be expensive. And so we really identified first and foremost, that that was a pain point that we needed to address, but we really needed to understand our process. And where I've seen some other organizations misstep is um, the shiny toy. I'll call it shiny toy syndrome, where you're like, Oh, this new platform will solve all of my problems. And I'll just implement this CRM and I'll sign a contract. It will integrate all of our data. But if you don't know your process, you don't know what you need to be buying. It's it's like shopping for yeah. I keep going back to car analogies. It's like it's like shopping for a car, and the only thing you know you need is a cup holder. And you really need to think. You need to understand. Well, where are you going? How far are you going? How big of a car do you need? How many people are you putting in? You need to understand your donor journeys, um, to and your process to really understand what you need and where technology can plug in. And for us. Um, We've done a really good job of integrating technology on the cultivation and the stewardship the acquisition side. And one thing that we're now working on that we've identified as a pain point is figuring out how to leverage technology to help us with some of the um, acknowledgements and more administrative side of things, um, because that can be a very manual process. But Had we just purchased a CRM that promised us the world, it it wouldn't have addressed some of those challenges that we're facing. And so really mapping out your process and understanding is is really key. The other thing is, if you haven't mapped out your process, you're not transition proofing your philanthropy. Um, You know, this space has a lot of turnover and... Um, that's how it's always been. That's probably how it's always going to be. And if you don't know your process, how can you find the right candidates? How can you purchase the right software? How can you make sure that you know you have someone who's gonna take you to scale when you can't even tell them what your process is on the front end? And so figuring out your your current workflow and what you want it to be will tell you who you need and it'll tell you what you need in terms of technology. And that was the very first thing we did. Um, the second misstep that I see a lot is, um, kind of a one and done. You think that, okay, I'm going to buy the technology. We're going to embrace the technology. We're going to spend three months. We're going to bring in consultants. Maybe we're going to do all of this, that, and the other. And at the end we will be done. And it's not that way. I've never seen it work that way. It's not that way on our client side. It's not that way on, on our stakeholder engagement side. It's a very iterative process. Things are going to change. Um, And you need to to make sure that you are embracing that the tech you need is going to change, how you leverage that tech is going to change, how much of it you need is going to change. And that's okay. It's a part of the process. And it's about figuring out how to integrate that technology into those workflows to get you from where you are to where you want
0: to be. You said so many valuable things here. I could spend the rest of this episode just (laughs) responding to what you shared, but thank you. One of the ones I definitely want to call attention to, because I see this all the time in my work when it comes to technology and software and nonprofits and impact work is not immune by any means, in that people are expecting a tool or a piece of software to fill the gap where there isn't a process today, right? One of the really important elements that I want people to walk away from, and this is coming from me, who like provides technology and software services, I build these tools, but... Please understand what Amber is saying here because it is definitely the case in that the tool doesn't make up for the missing process. You need to have the process and the process needs to be proven effective in order for the tool to magnify the capabilities of it or improve the efficiency of it or help you scale with it, right? All of those elements. Something else you said that's really important too is that process is going to evolve. The Tool should with you as well, but these things are not static concepts. These are both dynamic concepts and you need to be prepared. Prepared to be able to manage it that way. Because if you're expecting the the process that worked yesterday to work for the process of tomorrow's world, that's unlikely to be the case. Even if it does, it's going to be significantly less effective. So you're going to need processes to improve those as well, too. As like they're going to have to adapt, they're going to have to evolve. And your tools should evolve with you as well, too. So all of that music to my ears for sure, and a message that needs to be shouted from the rooftop. So thank you for that. (laughs) Um, another question I had for you as well, too, was. In terms of like applying technology software, you talked a lot about making sure that these donor processes and the journeys and all that stuff is is working well together. Like, how do you know if it isn't working? Like, what do those signs look like? And then what do you do to kind of fix those challenges and when, if and when those come up?
1: Yeah, I think the first I'll speak on the stakeholder engagement side. Um when when you have the technology tools, you can track where folks are in your process. And the first thing is if they're not getting all the way through, bingo. That's how you know you have a real problem and it also tell you where you have a problem. And normally it's for us, it's somewhere in, in the middle of the funnel and and it may be that um we've leveraged technology and now it's time to pull in that relational approach and um, it could be any number of things. Um, the data on the front end hasn't been updated and so they get stuck at the top and you need to make sure. but by having technology and having a strong CRM and looking at it, that's the other thing it, having a tool isn't helpful if you're not you know in the weeds looking at it every day. And so I think making sure that we identify where people are getting stuck um, and then how we solve that and usually it's, you know, that yes and approach where, yes, we've used the technology and we're going to have someone follow up with a call. We're going to make sure that we're touching base with them. They hear a voice. We're going to figure out if there's an in-person opportunity that we can connect them to. Um, because one thing that's that can be um, a bit of a challenge is a lot of the tools um, on the tech side can be static. You know, it's us sending something to them. And it's not relational or conversational, and so you just need to know where to plug in the human in in this workflow. And usually, that's where we we unstuck people. Um, we we take a look at the workflow. We say, okay, here's where here's where we're losing folks. Let's start to have meetings. And just because it's a workflow and it's a diagram doesn't mean it can't change. And so, if you need to add a touch point into the process. That's okay. That that's how you're going to get people further through. And it tells you what kind of employee you need. If you're getting some, if, you're, if your stakeholders are getting stuck in your workflow at a point where someone needs to be really charismatic and really great on the phone, that's very different than if you're having an admin challenge or you know a data entry issue. Those are very different skills and come at very different cost points. And so it's really important to. Look at the data, figure out where your process needs to change, and make sure you have the, the team in place to be able to, to make those changes. And so for us, it's usually, okay, the static communications have gone as far as they can go. We've texted, we've emailed, we've sent videos, we've called. Now it's time to get someone face-to-face, whether it's us or a client or a partner or something, um, add in add in. Um, That human approach. And if you're leveraging the technology, you'll have the bandwidth to insert your team in. Um, And the other thing is, if your process is well-defined and your technology is well-integrated, you know who you need, where you need it, and it enables you to pull in folks from beyond just the immediate team working on this. And so, um, yes, the stakeholder engagement team is responsible for engaging stakeholders, but because I, I can see where folks are stuck, I can see what kind of conversations are needed, I can pull in our executive team. I can pull in folks from our marketing team. I can pull in um, board members and clients. As needed. And if you know your process and you know where people are getting stuck, you can really craft an innovative solution using the folks at your disposal because you can deploy them really intentionally. And I think that that's the unspoken asset of technology in stakeholder engagement is it tells you where you can have the most impact with your people and where you can have the most impact with your tools.
0: Fantastic advice, as always. Thank you so much, Amber. And I really appreciate you also being here and sharing this experience for our audience. It's super informative. Before we let you go, a couple questions in addition to anything else that you'd like to share. But the first I was going to ask on my end was, where can people go to learn more about DreamSpring? How can they get involved? Any information like that?
1: Oh, all kinds of ways to get involved, thank you. So dreamsform.org obviously is the first place to go. Um, We just launched our annual report um, today. And so we have great client features. We have impact stories from the past year. Um, And this past year, we hit the, the $500 million mark in capital deployed. And so that's a really exciting milestone for us. Um, And so if anyone wants to learn more, I encourage you to start at our website, but I'm here. I'm available. Um, My email's A-K-A-N-I, which is, I need a a rhyme or something, at dreamspring.org. And so, um, you know, we're here and there are all different opportunities for people to plug in. Um, If you're a small business owner or, you know, a small business owner that may need our support or you think doesn't know about the different resources available to them. We're happy to help if you think that this is a an organ. We're an organization that aligns with your philanthropic priorities, or you want to make investments, or you want to learn more about what that looks like. We have opportunities there. We also leverage subject matter experts and volunteers to connect with our our clients who need, you know, guidance in finance, marketing, business operations. And so, if you have a skill or asset that you're looking to connect. Um, with your community for, we can obviously be a vessel for that too. But um, if you have questions, I think is the biggest thing. If you want to learn more, absolutely connect with us because Um, years ago, Time Magazine said that CDFIs were America's best kept secret. And that's terrible to anyone whose job it is to communicate who we are and what we do. But, um, the more folks that know about us, the more small business owners who need capital, who need education, who need, you know, that, that cheerleader behind them telling them, yes, you can do this, keep going. Um, the better we'll all be for it because our communities will be stronger, jobs will be a plenty, and the services that we need will be there when we need them. And so um, come to our website, call me, email me. um, I, I don't sleep, so I'm here when anyone has any questions or wants to learn more.
0: Thank you, Amber. And you heard it here, folks, tons of opportunities and ways to get involved, and I highly encourage you to do so. Check out the amazing work that Amber and her team at DreamSpring are doing and get involved however you can. Again, Amber, thank you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge and experience with our audience.
1: No, oh, thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Scaling Impact. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you'd like to learn how to scale impact at your nonprofit organization by more than double and less than half the time, i encourage you to sign up for my free five-day email course at nextstep.io forward slash impact. That's nextstep.io, nxt pio forward slash impact.